The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Between them, no one. Welcome in, Gator fans, to the new Gator Sports Podcast with your hosts, Zach Abelverde and Graham Hall. Presented by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another episode of the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, the football beat writer for Gatorsports.com. Joined to my right by Graham Hall, the basketball beat writer, as we preview the regular season finale, Graham, for the Florida football team right here in the swamp, a rivalry game between the Gators and the Tigers. I'm looking forward to it. I know maybe a lot of fans aren't because it doesn't have the same juice as it always does, but there's still some significance in Saturday night's game, and that's, we'll talk about it. That's so sad to me, Zach. That is that is so sad to me that there's not that much juice in this game because I was saying this to anyone who would listen right now, that LSU has loved being on top, kind of like what we were saying last week about Tennessee. They have relished the opportunity to put their rivals in their place. And you would think that Florida, I know they consider themselves higher class. They don't rush the field. They don't do the robin of the, the, the children's hospital type stuff. You would expect them to, though, pick on LSU a little bit more with how bad they are, with all the opt-outs, with Ed Orgeron mishandling things like, <laughs> as we're going to discuss here in a little bit with our guest, the police brutality meetings before the season. With I think them. Florida fans are just kind of, I don't know, maybe they're just too caught up in Trask-Heisman campaign or the thought of playing Alabama and Atlanta or potential college football playoff berth that that's the reason why games like this one, games like Tennessee, some of these chances where their, their opponents have been down, you see Florida fans are just kind of worried about other that. things. I just hear it, but, I, but I, come on, you should go out there and stomp them. I mean, LSU beat Florida last year in, as I was saying, Dan Mullen's best coached game, you could say, where they really looked good. They were up in the third quarter, and LSU beat them handedly by double digits, and that one hurt. That one was when you really could finally tell it wasn't Florida shot themselves in the foot. They were just outclassed. Yeah, yeah, they just were not as good as the opposition. And those are some of just kind of the ones you just have to swallow. You can't be angry because you just kind of are disappointed. You're sad. And Florida right now is the better team. Yeah. But as you as you say, Zach, every year a team gets caught looking ahead and then boom. You know, I hate the term trap game, but they get caught looking ahead and then they lose one and what they were looking ahead toward is all null and void all of a sudden. Yeah. And I mean, and I know Florida knows they're playing Alabama, but you got bigger pictures. Go pad those stats if you're Kyle Trask. Yeah. Well, and just and, and beat your rival and you get a win at home, which we'll, we'll discuss the significance of that on today's show. We'll also hear from Jarrett Roser of TigerDetails.com to get some perspective on LSU and what has went wrong with this season after what was a magical storybook, picture-perfect 2019 campaign. It's just been the total opposite this year. Uh, but for Florida going into this game, as you mentioned, Graham, they have to worry about themselves. They They can't look ahead to Alabama. They can't think about the playoff implications. They can't even worry about patent stats because if they're going to get where they want to go, which is being able to beat Alabama, which is becoming the SEC champion and then eventually competing in the college football playoff, 
they're still not there yet. They have to have a complete game, a complete performance, and just clean up some things offensively and defensively. And that's obviously been the focus in practice all week. That's what the staff has been preaching to the players. But there's proof in the pudding there. I mean, they can point to some of the things that happen, not only against Tennessee, but in their last three games where there are drives and moments where they're just not playing their top-notch football. And the good thing is, is that they haven't peaked yet, and maybe this is not the time that you want to be peaking. However, there are teams like Alabama that are playing at that high level week in and week out. And uh, this is the last chance that Florida has to get to that point before they face the Tide. Yeah, absolutely. If I were to say that there was one key difference right now between the Crimson Tide and the Gators, I would say it's how they react to distractions. This is a Crimson Tide team that handedly beat Auburn with Coach Saban sitting in his loft with COVID. And that's just not where the Florida program is at right now, whether it's senior day, already being in the SEC championship. After that Arkansas game, this is a team that kind of has not played their best for whatever reason at the beginning of games and at points in the second half. That Tennessee game, as we talked about, the the two late touchdown drives, both of them on long drives, the 90-plus yard drive, those are things that you have to get corrected. And this week, gives you another opportunity facing two freshman quarterbacks, a team that has had their star wide receiver opt out in Jamar Chase and is looking like they're going to be without their five-star tight end. So if you're Todd Grantham, if you're the Florida defense, this is a chance to go out there and feast in a sense. And and there's no excuse for them not doing that on Saturday. And how about LSU, Graham, as it likes to call itself, DBU, coming into this matchup with the worst passing defense in the SEC. Is Derek Stingley still playing? He's out there. I think he is. And there were a lot of people last year who were saying that he was the best returning cornerback in the SEC. And I'm not saying that... Uh, I don't know if... i tell you what, I don't know if uh, Florida fans were saying that after they saw uh, the hurting that Van Jefferson put on him in Baton Rouge. That should have been a sign to come of what Van Jefferson was going to do in the NFL. His footwork, I mean, we're seeing him already catch on with the Rams, but doing that to Stingley, not to take anything away from him, but this is a guy who I think, I don't want to say sophomore slump, but clearly is not as good without the rest of the secondary out there. Yeah, and we'll see what Trask is able to do against that group because not only could he put up a bunch of yardage, but it's, I think the touchdowns is what everybody's going to be looking for because as we all know, I think by now he's got a chance to finish the regular season, a 10-game regular season at that, as the record holder at Florida for the most touchdown passes in a year. And that'll be an incredible mark if he can hit it against uh, the Tigers. He'll just need two touchdown passes to surpass Danny Warfel and be at 40 for the year. Now that will tie him with Andre Woodson from Kentucky, who is, uh, I think he's now, what, fourth on the all-time list in in SEC history. So if this is another six-touchdown game for Trask, four or five, I mean, he's going to keep climbing. I think by the end of the year, once Atlanta's finished and whatever bowl game Florida has, he's going to end up, knock on wood, probably number two all-time behind Joe Burrow, who has 60 for the most touchdown passes in SEC history. And for that to happen in a COVID year, in an all-SEC season with 10 games, uh, it says a lot about Kyle Trask, and, and just it's the perfect way for him to uh, cap off what's been an incredible story here that he's had at Florida. Yeah, detractors can only mention the lack of defense and in any way they could possibly take away from Kyle Trask's performance, but you look at what he's done. I know it's been repeated ad nauseum, but the former two-star guy coming in here, and we mentioned this last week, the development 
this season under Brian Johnson. Uh, just absolutely miraculous in, in every sense of the word. And I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what he does against the SEC's highest paid defensive coordinator come Saturday. <laughs> uh, because you would think that that money would lead to Kyle Trask having maybe his worst game of the season, but earlier games this season aren't giving me that thought, Zach. Uh, you know, I got to say this, and I couldn't help but think it after the Tennessee game. It'd be crazy. The numbers that you throw out there, if there's any Florida fans on Saturday begging Dan Mullen to run the football, knowing that Kyle Trask can go out there and reach the lofty ranks of some of those other guys you mentioned, I don't think they should be handing the ball off more than 10 times a game. And I know that Kyle Trask nor Dan Mullen would ever say this, but I mean, this is an opportunity because LSU has the worst passing defense in the SEC to have another 400-yard potentially four, five, six touchdown performance. And if you can make that happen, why not go out there and go for it? Because it is going to strengthen that Heisman argument as much as those two guys say they're not thinking about it, they're not worrying about it. I mean, you want to put up as much points and touchdowns as you can. As Trask always says, we want to score on every drive. Well, this is a team that they can do that against. And this is you know a way that he can go out in the regular season with a bang. And honestly, Graham, maybe might need it. Because if depending on what happens in Atlanta and how those numbers shake out and what Mac Jones does, you know, I think a lot of people will remember him going out on senior night with a big performance against LSU as part of that Heisman conversation. But next, we're going to have a conversation with Jarrett Roser from Tigers Details to get some perspective on what's happening with LSU, what they can do to try and come into the swamp on Saturday night and get an upset. We'll be right back after this break. Bring game day tailgates home this season after a stop at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Stock up your huddle with beer, hard seltzers, your favorite wine, or something sparkling. ABC is Florida family-owned and has been getting Gator fans ready for kickoff since 1936. Head inside one of their 125 stores around the state or try their curbside service by ordering online at abcfws.com. ABC Access loyalty members can save $10 on wine, 10% on beer and hard seltzers, and earn points toward $5 coupons. ABC, always be celebrating. The holidays can definitely add some unwanted stress. These days, everything is go, go, go. Non-stop hustle is taken over, and it's kind of a lot. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the cans and bottles even turn blue when chilled to perfection. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. Cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. So it's actually made to chill. As the games are getting hotter, reach for the mountain cold refreshment of a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors delivered to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find local delivery options near you. So when you want to reset your busy life, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a Gator fan who believes that more convenience is better, join ViStar and bank any way you want. At a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America. We believe that people have better things to do with their time. At ViStar, we never forget that it's your money. Proud partner of the Florida Gators. All loans subject to approval. Insured by NCUA. 
We're now joined by Jarrett Roser from TigerDetails.com to preview Saturday's rivalry game between Florida and LSU. The Tigers come to the Swamp with a 3-5 and record and a rivalry game that they just had this past Saturday against Alabama. Jarrett, welcome into the show. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going pretty well. Obviously not the on-field season that that football program wants to be having, but, uh, you know, a nice day in Baton Rouge, all things considered, and just trying to navigate this weird year. Yeah, it has been a weird year, no doubt, Jarrett, for the LSU football program. Coming in, trying to defend their national championship and SEC title, and right out of the gate, you know, they have the opt-outs. They've had a bunch of news kind of throughout the season continue. Just bad breaks here or there, and there's a lot to break down, obviously, but just kind of what's your overall take, Jared, on how this year has gone and, and everything that's gone wrong? Yeah, it's it's been a lot, certainly. It's been a really frustrating year, and I think anyone coming off of that great run in 2019, wrapping up with January 13th earlier this year in the national championship, uh, I mean, anyone looking at it fairly realized they were not going to replicate that sort of a season uh, and not only not replicate that sort of a historic run, but probably not be among the strongest of title contenders and that it would be a little bit of a a rebuilding year in a lot of ways because of how many guys were going to leave for the draft. But there have been so many other aspects that have gone wrong for this team. Um, COVID that everyone's dealt with, but a, a team with that much turnover, including two new coordinators dealing with uh, all the shutdowns and everything was kind of behind the eight ball getting started. And then as they had some issues early in the season, right off the bat, dropping that frustrating loss to Mississippi State, some things kind of spiraled and it's it's continued to kind of go south. And now they get into a stretch of having to face A&M, Bama, and Florida to uh, kind of start winding down the season uh, for a team that has had issues with a lot. I mean, turnover, injuries, opt-outs, transfers, and, and just now some some cultural-type things seeming to come to the forefront that we're trying to get a complete handle on. And so it's it's been kind of a, a perfect storm uh, of pretty much mostly negative aspects of late, and, and they're just trying to get a handle on things and in a lot of ways limp towards the end of this year and, and hope to build toward the future with a lot of young guys that have been on the field. Well, the Florida program can certainly – I think sympathize or relate to a drop-off after a successful title run. It is something that LSU, other programs are experiencing right now. But uh, as we're starting to see, it kind of doesn't really end there. We've seen the opt-outs, the -the on-the-field stuff. And earlier this week, there were some reports about how Ed Orgeron handled the early season players meeting. And we covered that here with Dan Mullen and how, I want to say fickle it was at the time with the decisions and how what you say as a head coach is really going to come across to your team. And, and what have you learned about that, and how has Coach Orgeron learned from that decision? Yeah, that's that's been kind of, a, I think, some growing pains and a growing and learning process for a lot of people throughout the last several months and through a lot of this year. And, and there were certainly a lot of instances prior to the season that, Oh, when certain members of the staff were not necessarily on the same page with a lot of the players and and other members of the staff, and so there was a little bit of a disconnect, and there was were some some kind of contentious interactions at times. And I think Oh 
O had not gotten into a lot of those conversations in a public way since then, but he has mentioned the fact that there have been some meetings where some things have been brought to his attention that, that he was not necessarily aware of or understanding of, and that he's had to kind of learn from and, and find some empathy and, and open his mind to a little bit. I think we've certainly heard that a lot and we're continuing to see exactly how true that holds as some of these conversations happen behind closed doors with, with him and some of these players that, that are in situations where they, they're considering whether to come back for an additional year in Baton Rouge or, or to potentially move on. And it's, I think we're in a really interesting kind of pivotal moment for the program, which sounds so crazy to say in the same calendar year that they finish off that historic title run. But with with the way a lot of those pieces have come together, there are just, there are some tensions and some, uh, some things that need to be ironed out kind of behind the scenes. And as much as we're all interested in seeing a, a football game on Saturday and thankful that we got to a point where we have some football, I think for LSU, the way they handle a lot of those conversations, uh, behind the scenes over the next week, two weeks, or, or month or so are going to be far more critical. Now, there was a lot of things that set the Tigers back this season, Jarrett, from the opt-outs and then all the other factors that we've already mentioned here. But having your starting quarterback suffer a season-ending injury is never a recipe for success, especially when he's taken over for a guy like Joe Burrow. And Miles Brennan was supposed to be the heir apparent to Burrow um, for all intents and purposes. And even though the Tigers lost uh, you know, those two of, the, of their three first games out of the gate, he had played really well. Uh, at least from what I could tell, and having that injury happen, how much, as much as, as, much as everything else, set them back uh, to not kind of have him be able to take over as the starter? Yeah, I think that was another big piece of the puzzle of, of kind of where we are, because if you can get some things going into a positive direction for a football team, and particularly a young team, a, a lot of whom are in new roles, expanded roles, or new situations entirely with as many freshmen have played, if, if you can get that positivity going at some point, it kind of it, it builds a little bit like a, a snowball effect. And on the other side of things, if it gets going the wrong way, then it, it builds really quickly and, and can kind of unravel on you. And I think losing one of the veteran leaders of a team that had already lost so many to the draft and, and really needed people like Miles to step up and be vocal leaders for a young team as well as to lead by example and, and do what they could out there on the field. I I think not having him certainly hurt and, and kind of made it that much more of a struggle for the guys that, that have been on the field since to, uh, to, to kind of just feel like they can get back kind of head above water and heading the right direction sort of thing. Um, he, they, they obviously, they had some struggles early in that, early in the season and lost that game to Mississippi State, lost the game at Missouri, and, and there were some plays that he and the offense would probably like back. But ultimately he was he was hanging 350, 400 yards on folks early in the season that defense couldn't get any stops. And so if they could have had him for a lot of the season, I think you look at a couple instances where things may have gone a little bit differently uh, for sure. 
And that's not to say that T.J. Finley hasn't stepped up in his absence as the freshman quarterback. And we saw that message that came out over social media over the weekend where he kind of sent a playful message to Florida defensive tackle Gervin Texter saying, please don't tackle me too hard. But it begs the question, do you think Finley starts? And what is LSU's quarterback position without Brennan? I think we probably see both of the true freshmen again in TJ Finley and Max Johnson. Uh, I mean, for folks out in Florida, they may know him either from the recruiting trail or his dad is Brad Johnson that played for the Bucks for that Super Bowl team. But those two guys have both had some opportunities since Miles went down. TJ has been the guy to start all of those games since the Miles injury. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Max finally get an opportunity. I know they were really pleased with his play when he had some chances to get in there against Alabama. But I think ultimately those two guys have been kind of neck and neck since they arrived on campus and and remain in that same sort of a a dynamic and, and race. And so I think they're still trying to give both of them opportunities both on any given Saturday to bring what they can to the table as well as to gain some more experience knowing that the program kind of falls to their hands at some point in the future. We're speaking with Jarrett Roser from TigerDetails.com. Final couple things for Jarrett as we get to Saturday's game and I guess kind of a rallying call for the Tigers. What can they do going into this matchup to try and pull off the upset? And, And is that maybe a source of motivation to knock the Gators out of college football playoff contention and end the regular season with the win over your rival? Yeah, there's certainly not a whole lot of love lost between these two programs typically, and and I'm sure there's a lot of energy in that regard for LSU going to Florida and and having an opportunity to upend the Gators. And I think in any situation like LSU is in at the moment where there is – there are sort of some question marks and there is some tension and and you're trying to keep things together. It's always a a tricky line to to kind of gauge how exactly they may come out on a Saturday and and whether they they come out and have some trouble sticking together and it all becomes too much and, and things, again, unravel on them on a Saturday the way they have in the big picture in a lot of ways and things get ugly. Or if they come out and really do kind of thrive on that and and find a way to get a little bit ticked off about it and and have that last stand and and do some things and play in some ways above their head a little bit. I'm really interested to see just sort of the energy that they they come out with on Saturday evening. Uh, But ultimately, they've had a lot of struggles in coverage for most of this year and even more so probably than what we've talked about on defense. They've had a lot of troubles with any consistency up front on offense and helping out those freshman quarterbacks and helping establish any sort of a run game. And so trying to find some answers there against obviously a really talented Florida team that's playing some really good ball this season is is going to be uh, a tall task for a Tigers team that's had some struggles and, and something I'm looking forward to see what they can kind of come up with in that in those areas and, and try and make it an interesting and entertaining game because it could very easily uh, not be, but, but we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. Yeah, well, this has not been an entertaining season for the Tigers after what was you know, a storybook season in 2019. And as as well as everything went that year, it's gone about just as bad this season. But, you know, the good thing for you, Jared, is that you're almost to the finish line, right? You don't have to worry about a bowl game once we get to the regular <laughs> season. So uh, w- what was your reaction to that, uh, that announcement from LSU about their self-imposed bowl ban? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Obviously, there was a lot of kind of 
cheeky response about, <laughs> oh, you know, how how big of a sacrifice for LSU to, to really take one and, and opt out of bowls in a season where they're struggling this badly. It may have been more of a sacrifice or punishment to make them go out there and play that bowl game. It's <laughs> kind of a lot of reaction, but they ultimately, regardless of what happens here, they would have an opportunity with, I mean, a big fan base that travels well to have potentially had a bowl invite and some of those things fall into place because of just this year and its dynamics. But I think, I think there's some ways that Owen company would have loved to have had the additional practice opportunity to kind of build forward into next year with these young guys and just kind of go through that process with them. But with everything going on, I think it, it was kind of an opportunity to to impose a sanction that it, they're certainly not giving up on a, a typical 10 win season and, and not having a bowl appearance in, in a great year. And I, I think, I and a lot of people are kind of ready to wind this thing down, and it's it's been a bit of a grind through uh, just kind of what can go wrong next sort of feeling the last couple of months. No doubt. Well, uh, Jared, we really appreciate all the time and perspective. This is not the typical Florida LSU week. There's usually so much more juice and storylines involving this rivalry. But uh, nonetheless, we're looking forward to Saturday and uh, look forward to your coverage as well, man. Thanks for the time. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Anytime. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun and appreciate Jarrett Roser from TigerDetails.com for coming on to talk some LSU with us. And Graham, I appreciate you, I'm sure he does, for not giving him too hard of a time there at the end. I got to be honest, I felt a little bit bad asking some of those because, like I said, you and I both know what it's like to be covering a season that's not really (laughs) going up to recent standards. To have a championship and then a drop-off to a losing record is... Certainly something we're familiar with here in Gainesville. And it's really, let me think about those four win years and what they were coming off of. The 2012 year where the Gators made the BCS Bowl. They had an 11 win season. And then obviously the 2017 year, that was coming off the second straight SEC East title. So I don't think either of those seasons the fan base saw coming. Yeah, absolutely not. And while they didn't really see a quarterback throw 60 touchdown passes, certainly you have higher expectations when you've had a season go the way that LSU certainly did. But, you know, honestly, Zach, if if we're keeping it real here, I could have piled on, sadly, a little bit more uh, with what <laughs> the Tigers are going through. We didn't even get to mention the real key to me and that really signifies how these two programs are going in other directions. And I actually, strangely enough, think that that's the tight end possession, even though that you mentioned these two programs have both claimed the DBU moniker in recent years. I think right now, it's never been more apparent right now with their tight end situation. You look at Kyle Pitts, the Mackey Award, I, I got to think, favorite right now. No, no question. And, and, and also on Saturday night, he has a chance to set the school record for uh, most receiving yards by tight end. In just eight games, no yeah. less. Seven and a half games, if yeah. we're being honest, after missing two and a half weeks there from that concussion, nose surgery, whatever you want to call it, he suffered against Georgia. But certainly... You look at LSU, they were, after the end of last season, they had to be thinking that they were going to be having a tight end position kind of like Florida's, but that has not really been the case as of late. Five-star tight end Eric Gilbert. Let me, real quick here, I got to tell an interesting story because last week we were talking Harrison Bailey, and it's always so interesting to me because you never know who's going to be a stud, who's going to not pan out when they're a sophomore. I'm not saying Harrison's not, 
but he was on the same Marietta team as Eric Gilbert, and they camped at Florida's sophomore sensational night, sensational sophomore night, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and nobody was really looking at six foot five Eric Gilbert, which kind of shocked me. He didn't really have offers. Florida wasn't really looking at him. I think they had some interest in him, but it wasn't to the point where they were jumping all over him to get his commitment. Pretty soon here, and I had said this when I saw him, I said, this guy looks like a five-star. I'm going to show you the tweet if you don't believe me later. But I said, this guy looks like a five-star. How is no one all over him? That was in 2017. Finished as the number nine overall prospect by rivals in the 2020 class. Spurned his home state of Georgia to go to Louisiana, thinking that they were going to have a repeat of, of that 2019 championship season. As you mentioned, Zach, this year has gone everything but according to planned. He, and this is something we also are familiar with, you especially, he's been dealing with some homesickness. This is a year where you're away from your parents. You're not really able to go home as often as you'd like. You're in a bubble. You're not really having that social life that most freshmen have in college. And you have a situation now where the highest rated signee in LSU's class may be thinking about leaving the program and transferring back to, you would think, his home state when they imply homesickness, thinking that maybe Georgia, but it also begs the question, possibly, possibly Florida, maybe Clemson, Alabama. Either way, it's looking like LSU is going to have to fight to keep their top-rated signee, while Florida over here is spreading the ball around to three tight ends, Zach. Yeah, and it's just, uh, like you said, it really kind of shows that these two programs are heading in, in opposite directions. And for Florida to get a win on Saturday against LSU, that's just going to kind of signify that. But it'll also make history uh, in, in the Swamp. For the first time since 2005 and 2006, the Gators will have had back-to-back seasons undefeated at home. And that's something that Dan Mullen has really made an emphasis and uh, w- also what he wasn't able to accomplish in his first year. You know, the two losses at home against uh, Kentucky and Missouri was not the way that he wanted to start his tenure. He bounces back in 2019 and the Gators went undefeated at home. And that was just the third time in the decade, Graham, that they had Oof. done it. So now they go back to back and we haven't seen that since 05 and 06 and really haven't seen this type of dominance since the Spurrier years, right? I mean, he was the guy that dubbed the Swamp and said it was only Gators get out alive, and he lived up to that, going 68-5 and in his 12 years at Florida, and he had eight undefeated seasons, and then a 17-year span after him from 2002 to 2018, the Gators only had five undefeated season so it's not necessarily the place that it was when he was the coach and Mullins kind of built it back up to that of course this year you haven't had the 90,000 screaming fans and what have you but this football team and this program have kind of got back to the point where when you come into the swamp it's hard to get a win yeah this is a place absolutely where we know Florida prides itself on how they perform at home Uh, you know that they aren't one of those programs that is going to draw a fine for rushing the field. I don't think they ever have. That's just kind of that Florida hierarchy, elitism, whatever you want to call it, in a sense, where they expect to beat every opponent that they play, whether it's number one ranked Alabama, number three ranked Ole Miss, which we've certainly seen some big upsets in the last decade uh, as well against top five opponents. But this is a Florida team that, outside of what you mentioned, past 2005 has absolutely struggled to be perfect in back-to-back years at home. And it has taken getting a guy 
like Dan Mullen back in the building who is understanding of the development process, especially at the quarterback position. And we mention all the time, oh, what Kyle Trask is doing is amazing. And, oh, they're able to bring Emory Jones in and Anthony Richardson. But that would not happen if it weren't for guys like Kyle Trask and Emory Jones believing in those three years since Dan Mullen has been in the building. And that really is just not the case right now for LSU. They, they may have a chance to get there, obviously, but as Jarrett mentioned, their quarterback situation remains an unknown on Saturday. Two freshman quarterbacks in TJ Finley and Max Johnson. Orgeron opened up the competition this week to both of those guys to see how they perform, and we had talked about this earlier, Zach. You never really want to lose your quarterback's confidence, and I wouldn't say that's what's happening with TJ Finley, but you never know if he's a hit away from losing that athleticism. That that could be something that is a mental thing, and you don't want your quarterback taking those shots, especially when he was playing behind an offensive line or thought he was going to be playing behind an offensive line that LSU had last year, which was the best in college football. So all those opt-outs. Yeah, all those opt-outs have certainly helped them. And, and as Dan Mullen has said here as well, he's going to think that those opt-outs and those transfers are only going to continue and are actually going to increase in the future when you factor in not only the transfer portal and the rise in recruiting JUCO prospects every year, but the NCAA allowing that one extra year of eligibility. It's just going to be more people opening up their decisions after they've already put pen to paper. And then you factor in, which we're going to talk about a little bit next week a lot more, you factor in that there's been no official visits this entire year, basically, since February for any of the 2021 signees, and, and that'll certainly increase those opt-outs and those transfers possibly down the line if you ask a guy like Dan Mullen, but that's getting a little bit ahead here. The game on Saturday actually will be decided by the players on the field, and for LSU, it's looking like they're going to have to rely on a freshman quarterback if they're going to pull this upset on Saturday. Yeah, and I think that'll be probably as we start to get to the keys to the game, Graham, definitely one of them is, first of all, who starts for LSU at quarterback? Because as we heard from Jared, it could be either guy. Just me reading between the lines, I think it's going to be Max Johnson. I think the fact that he was able to go in there and lead them on touchdown drives against the Aggies and against the Tide have afforded him that opportunity. And it's interesting. He's the only guy in the SEC right now, Graham, that has not thrown an interception with at least 40 passes attempted. Now, it's not a lot of throws, but he's going to get more opportunities against the Gators. And coming into his first career start, if he gets it, and into not a hostile environment, but definitely a tough matchup at night in the swamp, can the Gators take advantage of that? So who starts? And then if it is Max Johnson, can they get his first interception that he's ever thrown in his college career? And can they just rattle him from pressure and all the the sacks and tackles for loss that we've seen from this defense? Uh, I think that's definitely going to be a key in this game anytime you're going up against a freshman quarterback, but especially a guy making his first career start. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's going to be Johnson as well, and it's based off of the fact that they've pulled T.J. Finley out of games in back-to-back weeks, which is why I bring up that mental aspect of the position. You can't be having a quarterback out there that's playing scared is afraid that one bad throw is going to have them pulled and they've shown the last two weeks that TJ Finley kind of was already on thin ice in a sense and I don't know if he's going to necessarily be ready to go out there win the job and then perform in a night game in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium knowing that he's kind of looking over his shoulder at his at his head coach and seeing that if he makes one bad throw or like you said 
gets a ball picked off that may not be his fault when you consider all his weapons have necessarily kind of opted out this season. I, I just don't think it's a great situation. And you mentioned the stats for Max Johnson. It begs the question, what can this guy do in extended action? And while I don't think a game against Florida, like I said, is the game to start this guy, his college preparation, it's now or, or, or when. This is the last game for LSU. We, we talked with Jared about that laughable bowl ban in a sense, they're not going to get some bowl game against some uh, mid-major opponent or whatever where they can actually try some different things and they're going to get those 15 extra weeks of practice. No, LSU is realizing that this is the it of a long, painful season that many people didn't expect would actually happen, and they're going to see in the last 60 minutes of it what else they got at quarterback with his first start, I think. And I think the Gators obviously know what they have at quarterback. LSU coming to this game with the worst pass defense in the SEC. We know Kyle Trask is going to put up numbers. We know that he's probably going to have another 300-yard performance, possibly four, possibly three, four touchdowns, maybe more. That's not a question. That's not a key for Saturday's game. I think for the Gators, it's what's going to happen with their running game. And I know Dan Mullen is not worried about it, is not focused about it. But to beat Alabama and then just to type to have the type of season that they want to finish with, they're going to have to get more out of their running game and out of their rushing attack. And this is a matchup where they should be able to do that. But they are coming off of a season-low 19 yards against Tennessee. Now, they threw it all over the yard, so it really didn't matter. But as you're trying to tune up and play a complete game and get yourself in the best position before you match up against Alabama, I think having more production from your running backs uh, is something that they would benefit from in this matchup. Absolutely. I think that I mean, they'll win no matter what. Yeah, that's not the question, but going against this Alabama team, you can start looking ahead. You're going to want to start putting more on film. You want to show that you have a threat in the run game that you can actually pull downfield. If, if you're Florida's guards, you, you actually can create holes for your guys to run through. And let's be honest, through nine games, you and I, I think, both agree on this. Florida hasn't really shown a consistency to do that. Now, no. if you go back to that Tennessee game, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the John DeLance quandary in my mind. Everyone thinks that they can't do it at all just because the negative plays are apparent. It's just the lack of consistency. They can absolutely do it, but like you said, they're coming off a game where their leading rusher was Jacob Copeland on the 17-yard rush. You have guys like Damian Pierce, Malik Davis. Who knows if it's, I don't want to say it's possibly their last game, but as Dan Mullen said, to use his own words against him in a sense, transfers and potential better opportunities will be something that guys are always looking for, and that includes running backs on Florida's roster if they're not able to have a chance to have production. So I think Florida is going to continue to try and establish the run game for multiple reasons, and let's be honest, you still have to keep that five-star Demarcus Bowman coming in here next year and think about your recruiting efforts in the future, and Florida cannot go away from the run game period, just because they have the Heisman favorite. Yeah, and then I think the third and, and most important key to the game, I think what will probably decide whether this is another slow start for Florida, if this is another game where they're trailing in the second quarter, or if it's even a contested uh, matchup in the second half. And that's how Florida's third down offense fares against LSU's third down defense. They're both ranked number three in the SEC, respectively, in those categories. So whichever one can come out and kind of take advantage of the other, that's probably going to dictate how this game goes and 
the Tigers have not done a lot well defensively, but this is one thing that they have done uh, okay at under uh, Bo Pelini, and even against a- Alabama, they held them to under 50% on their third down conversion. So we'll see how Florida does. Again, if they come out and have another one of those slow starts or they have a, a game where they have three and outs, that's going to allow the Tigers to, to kind of hang around. And, and they have the type of defense that can get Florida off the field. And it's been a point of emphasis, without a doubt, in practice because – against Tennessee, as we mentioned in the Swampcast, Graham, that was the first time all season that Florida had a game where they went three and out in consecutive drives back-to-back. So kudos to Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt that they were able to do that. And uh, if that's something that LSU is able to pull off or just get some three and outs against Florida, that's going to allow them to stay in the game. Yeah, although unfortunately I don't really have any confidence that Bo Pelini is going to figure it out by Saturday based on what I've seen already this season. You know, Zach, i got to say, in terms of the SEC coaching carousel, that has to be one of the worst replacement hires. It has to be up there, certainly. You lose a guy like Dave Aranda, who goes, you were paying him a whole lot of money, absolutely, but he goes to Baylor. That team is actually doing okay this season. Bo Pelini comes in, the former Nebraska coach, and they pay him a very similar salary for nowhere near the same level of results. Although, I gotta say, if you've been watching the NFL on Sundays, I think a lot of people also underestimated how valuable Joe Brady was to this team because offensively they just don't look anywhere near the level of creativity that you would expect from a team that had 60 passing touchdowns last season it just doesn't look like I want to say it's almost archaic in a sense and that's kind of what we should expect when you lose a a guy who is 30 years old and now in the NFL yep and so I think at the end of the day we we knew that LSU was not going to be the same team but you know without those opt-outs and everything that's happened during the year they still would have been really good they would not be three and five we knew when Jamar Chase opted out right I mean we both looked at each other we saw him in the swamp with Jerry Judy that guy was in there committing to Florida several years ago and when he opted out I think we both reached out to each other and said oh man this is not going to be good for them whatsoever. Why would this guy opt out? Other than to yeah, protect the NFL future, absolutely. But he must have absolutely not believed what they had coming back. Yeah, no, and, and other guys have not as well, and that's kind of why we've seen this play out the way it has. And we'll see how the game plays out on Saturday. Graham will get a score prediction from you, and I'll give mine as well. It would be interesting because Florida has not scored over 40 <sighs> in three straight games now. And – you look at uh, their defense, though, they've allowed less than 20 points in three straight games. So while the offense hasn't been up to par, the defense has improved, at least in that category. How, how do you see this playing out from a scoring standpoint? Ooh, you know, I think Florida will try and capitalize on the elements. Let me just say that. The night game in the swamp, senior night, relishing a chance to kick an opponent while they're down, a rival opponent, let's say. One that's been contentious. I'm one, go f- one that won the championship the year before. Yeah, by the and now way. you can go out there and say we beat the defending champs, even if it doesn't look like they're the defending champs right now. The they fact still that are. you can say that and then go out there on the recruiting trail and use that—I mean, that's better than bringing the Russell Athletic Bowl trophy into the building, if you ask me. I'm going to go 55 to 10, Florida, Ooh. Zach. So you win a touchdown more than me. You you think that they're going to match? the point total that Alabama had last week against uh, the Tigers. And, and I do think you know Florida could, could get to that. I do, they're definitely 
going to hit 40. You know about the six touchdown need. You know that he's six away from passing Drew Locke. And if we know about it, we got to think that the advanced analytic guys I will know. say this, though. Would it be better, and for those that didn't watch our, our Swampcast, as it rates right now for the most touchdown passes in a season in SEC history, Kyle Trask right now has 38. Danny Warfield has 39. Andre Woodson has 40. Tua Tagovailoa has 43. Drew Locke has 44 at number two. And then Joe Burrow is number one at 60. Now, Trask at 38, if he has another six touchdown performance, he could tie Burrow in this, or excuse me, he could tie Locke in this game against LSU. However, I think maybe, just maybe, for the Heisman case and all the voters that are going to be tuning in in Atlanta watching that game, can you imagine having that come across the screen if he passes up to a tag of Iloa and passes up Drew Locke? I think for shock value and maybe what they're looking to get out of that, it might be better for him to break those records in Atlanta. I do think that he'll break Danny's record for sure with at least two touchdown passes. I'm going to give... Uh, 48 points to Florida, and I think that for the fourth straight game, they hold the opposing offense to less than 20. I'll give uh, them 17, and check this out. If the Gators can get a pick against Max Johnson, that'll be the second trip in a row for LSU coming to the Swamp that their starting quarterback threw his first career collegiate interception against the Gators as Brad Stewart was able to get that against Joe Burrow in 2018. So don't forget that, Florida fans. I'd still watch that video of yours. That that thing went viral, man. That video of you on the sidelines, I haven't seen that place erupt. And I think about that every time when it's kind of sparse out there right now. Yeah, no, and, and the swamp obviously is not like that. So we, we miss those days. Uh, but we're, we're not going to miss this rivalry because we get to have it on Saturday. Graham and I will be back with you all next week to recap how that game went. And get you ready for the ship. In Atlanta. Let's go. I know. I'm I'm excited for it. Appreciate all you all for listening to us, following along on Gatorsports.com, watching our Swamp Cast, and reading all of our coverage. We'll be back next week. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Abelverde.